fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about defaming someone because you're too ignorant to understand what they wrote with my friend Vienna. That, I feel like that's that's a little bit too much of a stretch. That's That one's, Is it that a one's too, too ever-present for Rebel to be like a unique episode intro. But he's being sued. And, <laughs> and you will when is I he think, not being sued? I think when Come we on. get to the segment, you will agree with, <laughs> with this introduction. Let me tell you. Uh, but yes, he's Very being well. sued. How are you? I am fine. I'm tired. Um, are you in mourning? No. What <laughs> kind of question is that? They, it's did you the day of did they make did they make your kids do something in school today? Uh, I think so, but honestly, I forgot to ask them. Yeah, they made like they made my sister stand up and just be like silent. Like, the whole class had to be standing for it. Um, I, heard, I heard they stopped buses uh, and had, like, a minute of silence for, like, bus passengers. Yeah. And there was another... One of the other high schools, like, made all of their kids, like, go out in the field. Like, what is this? I know that Stephen Leachy said, like, you gotta do something for this, but... But this is too much. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Well, just be like, ah, oh, damn, I guess the queen died, and then move on. You don't have to, like, make everybody stand? Like, what? What is that? I also think, like, in terms, like, not that I mourned at all. In fact, I was immediately a uh, sense of glee when it happened. But <laughs> in terms, like, if you're someone who needs to mourn, I mean, it's over a week now. I don't, you had plenty of time to mourn between then and now. I don't know. I don't know why we but needed Jody, a, a whole day. Today she's going in the ground. Today they're putting the metal cage over top so that she can't dig her way up. Well, very apt, you know, because I, I expect that they're doing some sort of blood ritual right now to see if they can somehow conjure her back to life. But because uh, I only imagine that's what the royals get up to behind closed doors because... <laughs> I mean, Prince Charles believes in homeopathy, so. <laughs> Literally, all that they ever do is try to revive the, like, last most liked monarch. So when Liz was still alive, they were trying to bring back Victoria, but now now she's gone. So it's like, okay, we know that one's fresh. We know that one, you know, we if we get her sitting back on the one, chair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, lordy. Well... Now the fun's out of the way. <laughs> I should How say, are you, Jody? Oh, well, I'm I'm good. You know, I, I should say as well, now uh, that I'm thinking about myself, <laughs> I'm going on vacation next week. So this might be our uh, last episode in a, in a bit, in the sense that uh, we're probably going to play catch-up. But all next week, there's not going to be an episode because I will be gone. Uh, and because of that, I won't be able to record... The episode for the week we're currently experiencing and then we'll have to catch up on the week that i'm gone so uh there's going to be a, a bit of a backlog when i get back from vacation but we'll, we'll catch up 
But uh, that being said, there won't be a new episode next week for, for everyone listening. You might have two episodes the next week or something. We'll work it out. Oh, yeah, Jody. What if I record an episode on my own? What if I have a guest on to replace you? <laughs> uh, sure, let me know. I'll give you the codes. <laughs> you really want to listen to Ezra yourself? Yeah. <laughs> listen, we're going to do it my way. It's going to be very different. <laughs> uh. But yeah, so so that's the news of uh, where I'm at. But I'm I'm excited to go on the trip. So I'm feeling that. I'm recording. I should have a bonus episode as well out for the patrons that will be recording with Eric tomorrow. We were supposed to record last week, but the idiot that I am forgot that we were recording <laughs> the one day. So, uh, but we worked it all out. So we'll be recording the bonus episode tomorrow, and I'll have it out before I go on vacation as well. So there'll be tons of content for people. If you become a Patreon supporter, you'll have some extra content as well. So uh, that's that. Now for the, the the content of the show, I'm just going to give a warning right up front, which is that we will be talking about sexual assault, rape, uh, specifically surrounding child sexual exploitation almost right away. Uh, so consider this your content warning. If those are conversations that bother you, uh, feel free to avoid them. I will say, though, right up front, we're not going to be getting into specific details. We will hear someone talk about their own experience, but it's mostly their experience with the police and not the uh, assault itself. But I figured that I would just have this up front. If these conversations bother you at all, you don't have to partake in them. And I fully understand that. But I still think it's worthy of us going over it uh, because of the, the sort of claims that Ezra is making about uh, these issues, which we'll get to it in a few seconds. But yeah, so if that bothers you, just letting you know, we're going to basically be getting right into it as soon as we're uh, done the introduction. But I thought I would warn you because it's gross. That's <laughs> pretty much yep. it. But on that note, I, I will say, but the nice thing is, and it's going to be another like weird whiplash, is after we're done that segment, we get to talk about Ezra being sued. So there, <laughs> there is some, I guess, light at the end of that tunnel. So uh, join us for the journey. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. So this uh, episode, we cover the week of September 12th to September 16th. And thankfully for us, they pulled another goof where they uploaded the Friday episode to Monday. So it was a repeat of what we heard on Friday. And we don't need to go over it. The episode description for what they were supposed to post was Pierre's victory and them talking about it. So for those who don't know, Pierre Polyev won the conservative leadership election. So we don't actually get to uh, talk about it. <laughs> and personally, I don't care. Fuck Pierre and uh, screw the conservatives. It doesn't really matter, right? Get rid of them. It is it, uh, just amazing, though. That this is the second week in a row. I mean, this is, has happened before, but this is now two weeks in a row where they just uploaded the wrong episode to a day, so... Was it the Friday the week before? Uh, I feel like it was midstream. Like okay. a Wednesday or Thursday. I can't remember. Either way, they're goofing up. 
maybe they were too distracted with being sued. So, like, we could chalk it up to that. They were too distracted by the the death of the queen. Maybe, we'll see. <laughs> now, we get to the twelfth or the thirteenth. Sorry, so that was the twelfth when they just put the repeat episode. But the thirteenth, Ezra decides to dedicate the entire show to an interview with a UK conservative by the name of Samantha Smith. I had never heard of her before, but she is a columnist for a bunch of conservative UK newspapers that you've probably heard of, like The Independent, uh, or not The Independent, what's, uh, now the name has escaped, The Spectator uh, was one of them, but she's, and she's mainly a commentator on uh, GB News, which is Great Britain News, which is like, their equivalent of Fox News that has like Nigel Farage on it, uh, a bunch of like Brexiters and stuff like this. So that's mainly the sort of sphere she is from. And like when she was on GB News, she most often was on uh, Mark Stein's program on GB News. And if you remember Mark Stein, uh, that name is going to be familiar to those listening, especially to our bonus episodes, because he wrote the foreword to the book we're reading uh, by Ezra, and he is is he covers for Tucker Carlson often. He's just a really terrible person. He wrote a book that uh, basically argued for the Great Replacement, but that it was uh, Muslims that were going to replace people in Canada and America. And uh, yeah, not a great person. I mean, he also famously wrote an album about cats. But we'll <laughs> well, I will not there we go. punish you. Uh, for listening to it but thank you i appreciate that a lot <laughs> i would love to have never had to have suffered through mark stein's music but unfortunately um i have not had that luxury i i frankly i think it's a hindrance one needs to experience mark stein <laughs> i would say go out and check it out google mark stein cats and you'll probably find something you'll enjoy but either way, this is where uh, Samantha Smith sort of like exists. In the interview uh, with Ezra, we also find out that she's a huge supporter of Liz Truss. I found on her social media, it seemed like she campaigned for her or worked in some capacity with Liz Truss, who is now the, uh, I believe she became the leader of the conservatives in Britain. So she is the prime she's minister. Prime minister. Yeah. She became prime minister the day before the queen died. Right, because she there met can with the only queen. be one Liz at a time. True. But all this is to say, she has very strong conservative bona fides. I would dare dare I say strong far right bona fides as well for this Samantha Smith character. All that being said, though, I will say so. We are going to learn that she is the victim of child sexual uh, exploitation and abuse, and none like her being right wing does not mean that uh, she's making up this story or any of that. I take it for granted that she's telling the truth here and that this really did happen to her. And it's also terrible that it happened to her, even if she's a far-right conservative. But the thing that bothers me, especially about this interview, is how her story is going to be used by Ezra. Uh, and that's sort of what we're going to get to. Her main reason for being on Ezra's show is because there was this independent report released recently in July of 2020 or 2022 
regarding police failures when it came to investigating child sexual exploitation in a small city named Telford, which is in the UK. And Samantha, uh, her involvement in the story is that she grew up in Telford and again was herself the victim of child sexual uh, exploitation. So throughout the interview, Ezra uses Samantha's story to push uh, this common narrative, which we've heard before on the show, which is that Muslim rape gangs in the UK, where mostly Pakistani men are disproportionately compared to other races, targeting white working class women uh, and children to be sexually exploited. So that's the narrative that Ezra constantly pitches on his show. And he has Samantha on to sort of like... I guess, uh, reinforce that narrative. Although what I want to highlight right away, once we hear what Samantha has to say, a lot of the things she's going to say almost directly contradicts Ezra's narrative. And yet she will still continue to go along with what Ezra has to say because she's on the far right. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is sad, but it's just how it goes. But it is, uh, you know, the one thing that I could say is her, her story should be informative in one way, in that I like I think she's telling the truth in what happened, and we can learn from that, especially since it contradicts what Ezra is saying. Yeah. To start, we have covered this story before, in that Ezra has often used uh, this discredited study by an organization named Quilliam to promote the Muslim rape gang narrative. However, I do think it is worth going over some of the details again, in part because of the new report about Telford, but also because recently... I think it was last week or two weeks ago, Ezra used the Muslim rape gang narrative to sort of like compare it to what's happening in like American schools where like trans like teachers are grooming kids to be trans or something like this. Mm -hmm. And so since this narrative has weirdly popped up in that realm, I, I think it's worth just going over some of the background again, since Ezra is going to, uh, is going to constantly use this narrative and like we've talked about this as well but this is sort of like the weird overlap between the transphobia and the islamophobia sort of like working together in weird ways or the lessons they learn from the islamophobia that they like uh fostered is being used to then be put upon trans people yeah it all circles back right all of these all of these things are connected. But we will start with uh, Ezra, I guess, laying out the narrative. Just so that like we get a sense of I'm not putting words in his mouth. This is how Ezra starts off the show. Well, you know our motto here at Rebel News. It's telling the other side of the story. Sometimes that means talking about a story that everybody's talking about, but just giving a different perspective. But sometimes it means telling a story that everyone else is afraid to even mention. Afraid for various reasons, because it's too difficult to talk about certain things. Or you might be accused of being a bigot. You might be accused of being a racist. That's something that happened in the United Kingdom over years, in fact, over decades, as a terrible phenomenon took root in that country, a phenomenon of what can only be called rape gangs, groups of men who would sexually assault women night after night after night, the same women, and actually to say women is inaccurate, they're girls, children. It's child sexual exploitation on a mass scale. It's tough to talk about it because in the main, 
the young girls are working class white girls. And as terrible as it sounds, the majority of the perpetrators are Pakistani Muslim men in the UK. It's very difficult to even say that unless perhaps you yourself are a Pakistani Muslim man in the UK like Majid Nawaz. So he mentions Majid Nawaz and then goes on to play a clip by Majid Nawaz. And Majid, uh, not only is he most famous for blocking Imperial News on Twitter, he is, <laughs> and I always have to rub that, <laughs> he is also uh, famous for being the founder or the co-founder of Quilliam, which again published the discredited study I mentioned early, earlier, which uh, was used to argue that the Muslim rape gang narrative exists and here's a bunch of evidence and that was released in 2017 mm -hmm. now some things to know about quilliam before we get into the study again and i'll just briefly go over it but like maj's organization was used to revitalize the image of tommy robinson who is someone we've talked about before because he also used to work for rebel news he tommy is most known i guess for founding the english defense league which for those who don't know it's a very far-right islamophobic ultra-nationalist hate group within england uh and he has he himself tommy has been to prison several times because he's decided since he's taken on this like i'm a crusader against these muslim rape gangs sort of thing he's harassed a bunch of courts that are dealing with these cases and in ways done things against what the court says so like he's violated publication bans He's harassed uh, some of the victims. He's even made it harder for the judges to go after perpetrators of sexual assault because he's in in uh, violating the court norms. He's making it harder for the prosecutors to like fight these cases. Yeah. So really just a, a terrible human being. And the thing is, so there was a moment where Tommy leaves the EDL and the Quilliam then took him on as an employee and was using it as sort of like to revitalize his image. And Tommy has since come out to say that Quilliam was paying him £2,000 per month so that they could say they were the ones to get him to leave the EDL. Like they wanted credit for it. And uh, <laughs> Quilliam has since come out to deny that this is true, but Tommy still sort of sticks by it, so... When when did Tommy work for Rebel? Was he part of the EDL then, or was this after? I believe he started working for Rebel after he had joined Quilliam. So I, I okay. think this was after the EDL. But, like, it, Tommy still sort of has connections to the EDL, like, whether he fully <laughs> left or not. And, like, the thing is, he still does the same racist shit he did when he was in the EDL. So it's like, it, do, it really doesn't matter to a certain extent, you know? Well, it's like Gavin McInnes, I guess, then, right? Yeah, who founded the Proud Boys and then fucked off when the it got too hot, you know? Yeah, but still, like, has connections and, like, all that kind of stuff, too. No, I think that's a very good uh, analogy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's <And> all... <laughs> both rebel employees. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, exactly, Jesus. The thing with Majid, too, like, he was often seen as this sort of, like... Uh, left-wing type figure but then he came out as being he started talking about the regressive left and then started being like i'm a classical liberal type people and now he's to the point where he's a covid conspiracy theorist and in fact he used to work for i think lbc which was a a uh, london-based radio 
show and uh, he was fired for promoting COVID conspiracies on it. So have fun, Majid. But yeah, so Ezra loves Majid. <laughs> As you know, he's he's talked about his Quilliam report constantly on uh, Rebel News shows. So to get into the report itself, the Quilliam report, which was released in 2017, uh, tried to argue that 84% of grooming gangs were of South Asian descent and... Uh, that usually gets extended to just specifically being mostly Pakistani men. The problem with this report is that grooming gang, as defined by the paper, is uh, not really defined at all. And that in many cases of CSE, uh, it, they involved groups of white men, and yet for some reason they were not categorized as grooming gangs. So it's almost like the category of grooming gang was specifically developed so that it specifically applies to South Asian men, even though it's like what differentiates a group of South Asian men uh, grooming kids for child sexual exploitation and a group of like, I don't know, cardinals of the Roman Catholic Church doing it or something, right? Like, yeah, nothing distinguishes these two groups uh, as grooming gangs, yet only one was being labeled grooming gang and not the other. Now, this did not stop Majid and his organization, Quilliam, from continuing to make this claim after other scholars pointed out how bad this study was. And further, they claimed that they were being silenced because people were afraid of being called racist, which is the exact narrative we hear Ezra sort of promoting in this clip. Now, this accusation actually had some sting to it or some sort of like power to it back when Majid was making it. Since a report was released in October of 2014 regarding a similar rape crisis in Rotherham, where it was documented that some police were afraid to investigate certain perpetrators for fear of being perceived as racist towards individuals of uh, South Asian descent. So part of the narrative that hung around certain uh, uh, cases of child sexual exploitation not being investigated, the narrative that sort of... Uh, began to formulate was that these police would not investigate these uh, groups of men who were doing uh, the child sexual exploitation because police were afraid of being called racist for going after them. At least that is the narrative that developed, but we can get into to what extent that narrative is accurate or not in a bit. Yeah. A report was then released by the UK government in 2020, which kind of makes the Quilliam study... Just It just destroys the Quilliam study, basically, because what this report was found... And so this was done by uh, the Home Office, which is a part of the UK government. And what they found was there is no credible claim uh, to the Muslim rape gang, grooming gang, rape gang narrative, since most mm. of the perpetrators of CSE were white. And that is whether they were in a group uh, or not, group gang or not. And that South Asian men were not disproportionate to the numbers, more likely to perpetrate CSE than any other race. And this should have been the end of the story. <laughs> you know, it's like if you have conclusive data suggesting that the, the countrywide evidence shows that this isn't the case. Why is the, the race aspect of this constantly being highlighted? That should tell you yeah. something. Even though that home report came out, we now have this report uh, that came out in Telford. And we'll get to the specifics about this report in a second. But first, I want to sort of uh, play through how they sort of start. So Samantha and Ezra begin by talking about the working class in the UK and general UK politics. 
And Samantha claims that she's a conservative because she believes that no matter what race or class you are, if you work hard, you can make it. And she claims that the Labour Party is just the party of the elites and says that because she's mixed raced, so we find out that she's mixed raced, uh, that she does not need a handout from the government to succeed, even though she isn't white. So you could already sort of tell uh, her politics of this. And like a lot of stuff that came through the interview, I don't know, it, I didn't clip any of it, but it was frustrating because she tried to like frame it as like, even though she had a rough like upbringing in that she was a victim of childhood ex a child exploitation, sexual exploitation, that, you know, she was able to overcome it and become a, a good person. And, the, or not even just a good person, but a successful person, right? I don't think she used the word good. And like, to me, it's like, that's great. Like, I'm, I'm glad that someone can overcome adversity like that and make it for themselves, uh, uh, you know? But then it's like, that is then being used in the service of putting down other people who might not have it or, or might not be able to succeed for reasons that are beyond their control, right? Like, it, it just seems yeah. like it's sad that it's being weaponized to target other people, you know? But 20 minutes into the chat, and Ezra finally decides to broach uh, the subject matter about Telford, and here is how he sets up to Samantha uh, to tell her story. There's an extremely difficult subject in the United Kingdom to talk about. Mm -hmm. It's hard to talk about it because it's, it's always hard to talk about some horrific crimes but if there's an element of race or class or there there are extra reasons why this subject is so hard to talk about um, many of our viewers know about the story of Rotherham it's a city of about a quarter million where at least 1400 girls and I don't mean women I mean girls were systematically groomed and raped in a city of 250,000 how could you not know that 1,400? And the Rotherham inquiry showed that people did know, but they were more afraid of being called racist. Mm. In fact, that phrase appears again and again mm. in the official Rotherham inquiry. Police, social workers, doctors were afraid of ringing the bell because it was typically white working class girls who were targeted. And I'm sorry to say it, it was typically Pakistani, Muslim, British rape gangs. And I know this, you have to be careful about mm. that. You don't want to paint with a broad <laughs> brush. In the end, they brought in a Pakistani Muslim prosecutor, which I think was a brilliant solution mm -hmm. because no one could would accuse him of racism. Of racism. Yeah. But imagine being so paralyzed by fear that you were more afraid of being called racist than to stop. And that's just one city. And there's Telford and there there's Rochdale, and there's so many. Tell me your story, and I'm afraid to talk about this. I'm afraid to ask about it. But you lived through this. So you can tell already that he's trying to foment this narrative and trying to get her to sort of like bolster it in some capacity. You know, because mm -hmm. otherwise you would just ask her for her story rather than trying to like fit it into your narrative about how people can't talk about this because of the the way race plays into it. We are going to hear Samantha now respond to Ezra and get to hear her tell her story. This is a long clip. I have even edited, I edited it down from a larger clip because there was parts where 
she went on tangents that I don't think are relevant uh, in that she was describing some other people's cases and went into details that like we don't need to get into about their actual direct assaults, uh, mm-hmm. but also just random tangents. Now, I, I hope you trust me that I, I, I don't think I left anything out that is relevant to what we're going to talk about, but I mainly wanted to to hear, have you, the audience, hear what she has to say. In part, just because I think it's important uh, to learn what's going on in some of these UK neighborhoods and what victims of assault are experiencing, and she should be able to tell her story. But also, like, you're going to notice she focuses a lot on the police and how they handle these cases. And I think that is the most uh, important takeaway, to a certain degree, from this that we're going to hear. So I will play her telling her story to Ezra. Yeah, so I was abused from the age of five to 14, roughly. I was abused for nearly a decade by successive men at at different times throughout my life. I'm a victim of, I say survivor, I prefer the term survivor. I'm a survivor of grooming, of child sexual abuse. I'm not personally a victim of of CSE in the way, you know, uh, Pakistani grooming gangs. I was abused by some Pakistani men. I was abused by some white men. I was abused by by different people throughout my life, but I grew up in Telford and the experience that that I had when it comes to police, social services, local council, those in positions of power is all too familiar to those that are that have followed the cases in Rotherham, Rochdale, Telford, Oldham, Halifax. You can name the the list goes on and on. And for me, I you know I've I've been on GB News quite a lot speaking about it. I've written a few articles as well my my experience was that those in positions of power found it far easier to blame the children and let me get this clip get this straight these are children not young women not prostitutes not madams not you know adults they are children being raped and groomed and exploited and even murdered in some cases many many girls in areas like tell many girls like me found that, that we were victimized that we were blamed that we were criminalized rather than believed because it's far easier to to blame the victim than to prosecute the perpetrators i i'd also say that over decades in the uk in in telford especially so for 30 years the telford report came out recently it was shown that that police had failed in their most basic duty quote unquote to report and to investigate purported instance of child sexual exploitation there are countless other over 1000 girls in telford were were victims of child sexual exploitation for over a period of, of around 30 years for under the purview of the Telford Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Exploitation. But wider than that, Telford is also the child sex crime capital of the UK. More children in the in Telford are sexually abused per capita than anywhere in, else in the UK. That beats Rotherham, Rochdale, Oldham, Greater Manchester. And that's not a list that you want to be at the top of, but yet so few people have heard about my town about my hometown because it's flown under the radar because those in positions of power have turned a blind eye for so long and girls who don't have access to to, you know well-off parents who don't have those that are fighting their corners they have had nowhere to turn they've tried to to go down the traditional routes for support you know they've gone to their gps they've gone to their school they've gone to sexual health clinics when they've shown up pregnant at 13 you know week after week asking for contraception morning after pill etc etc and those that were supposed to help them those that were tasked with with protecting them and safeguarding them 
turned a blind eye and in, in some cases criminalized them, accused them of asking for it, said that they were packy shaggers, white slags, child prostitutes. That was a big thing in Telford. Girls were told that they were asking for it and that they had entered into that lifestyle. I remember when I when I went to the police to report my abuse, they asked whether I had consented at any point, which I thought was laughable. The idea that a five-year-old can can give consent to sexual activity is is beyond belief. I can't believe I have to say it, but children can't consent to sex. Children can't be asking for it. Children can't be child prostitutes. Children cannot be at fault in the case of sexual abuse. The adult men that perpetrate these crimes are always the ones at fault. Notice as well, contrasting her story to the narrative that Ezra is putting out there. Where, like, for one, she admits that it was not just uh, South Asian men that were perpetrators in these instances, that even in her case, uh, it was multi-ethnic, as sad as that is to say. But then on top of that, like, notice that, like, the main thing that she focuses on is the fact that the police were not listening to them and Mm re-victimized them for various reasons. And none of them having to do with them being afraid of called racist, but because they're misogynist pieces of shit. I don't get how this woman is a conservative. Like, what? Like, saying all of that and then just being like, ah, but Liz Truss. Like, I just... Yeah. Yeah. No, it's hard, which is why, like, I have to point out, because, like, if I would have ju- if I would have just played that clip, it wouldn't have gotten across how conservative she is. But she's, I mean, she is a frequent guest on Mark Stein's show. Uh, yeah. She is appearing right now on Rebel News. You know, it's weird to me that she can report her own abuse uh, in a in a manner that completely contradicts the narrative that she's directly staring in the face of as Ezra tries to pitch it to her mm-hmm. and yet still agree with Ezra by the end of this episode. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. It's it's frustrating because like, I don't know what to deal with that fact other than like I the, the fact that she contradicts Ezra's narrative tells me it's very believable uh, what she went through. And like, you know, she should be able to tell her story. And, and I think it's good that she is telling her story. You know, uh, I, I just wish... She wasn't conservative, but like, but part of me as well is like, at least the conservative audience is hearing this for, I think the first time ever, like, like in terms of like, they've only been pitched this story from the narrative that the police were just afraid to do anything because of, they were afraid of being called racist. And this is the first time they're hearing that the police were way worse than just that. Yeah. But either way, I don't. I don't know the fact that she then comes around to agree with Ezra's narrative. I don't like the, everything about this is kind of icky. But uh, but yeah. So getting into some of the the nitty gritty here, though, like what Samantha describes here is present both in the Rotherham and the Telford report that the police victim blamed the young girls or saw them as lesser and not deserving of police protection. The media, not just the right-wing media, tended to highlight the fact that there is some evidence police were nervous about investigating these crimes because of the race of the perpetrators. But notice uh, that this narrative tends to protect the police in a weird way because mm-hmm. the police are then portrayed as victims themselves of a culture that would be too quick to judge them for prosecuting criminals of, criminals of a specific race. 
Meanwhile, the reality is that the police downplayed the severity of what was going on because of misogyny, racism in that they perceived these victims as not worthy for having sex with Pakistani men, uh, especially in the case that she just highlighted, and also classism in that they were seen as less worthy because they were of a lower class, a lower working class strata. Yeah. The Telford report itself was written by a lawyer named Tom Crowther, whose primary job is legally defending police. Yet he's constantly described in the media as an independent investigator, which even in like The Guardian, which I find just to be super weird. Like, wouldn't it be important information that the person writing this independent report spends all of his time legally representing police and defending them? In the Telford, yeah. <laughs> in the Telford report, the evidence for the, uh, the police refusing to investigate over fears of being called racist, it's not even direct. So Tom lists examples of heightened racial tensions after the police murdered a black man in Telford. So he sort of goes, well, because there was this murder of the black man in Telford, that kind of explains why there was this heightened fear of racial tension and why the police might be uh, afraid. Meanwhile, it's like, and he kind of downplays whether the police actually killed the black man. And it's like, come on, Tom. Come on. Hmm. But then he also uses rumors from victims. So the sense of some victims going, I think they didn't help me because they might have been afraid of race, right? He uses that as an example. And then he used current reflections of police officers. So like asking or like police officers today what they felt back then and then asked directly whether race played a role. And some of them were like, maybe. And here's the thing. So the, the report itself, the Telford report, is like a thousand pages. So I can understand that no one read this. <laughs> to at least some people in the media. I didn't read the whole thing. I was just mostly interested in the, the sections that had to do with uh, whether race was a factor in certain things uh, and was flipping yeah. through it. And so to end this section, like after, after the things that I just listed, that was given as the evidence. And then Tom concludes that the report... Uh, or concludes in the report that he could find no other plausible explanation for police failure other than the fear of being called racist. Even though he lists in the same report many documented incidents of young girls being victim-blamed for their sexual exploitation by the police. Tom even documents several cases where police perceived the rape as consensual because the children received gifts. Something that was also echoed in what Samantha just said to Ezra as well. So it's a common occurrence. But the idea was like, because these children were being exploited and like gifts were used to lure them in, et cetera, et cetera, that the police then perceived that as a consensual relationship, even though these were children. Fuck. The Rotherham report, which contained more direct evidence of police being concerned about being called racist, so in that case they actually had contemporary reports of the police officers being afraid uh, of being called racist, at least, and there was even evidence of a top-down directive from like one of the higher-ups in the police saying like, don't do this, we're afraid of being called racist, okay? So at least there's a little bit more direct evidence in that, but... In that report, there also contained numerous examples of police not seeing these girls as worthy of their concern. In fact, there was like some direct quotes from police officers saying that these girls were like lesser than and not worthy of us helping them. Yet, with all that evidence, 
the only angle that ever seems to be covered in both the media and especially by the far right is the race angle of this. Which it seems to me that a bigger incidence of it is that these police did not see these girls as victims because of the, not just like the race issue, but because they perceived these girls as lesser than, of a lower class. And that they yeah. somehow consented because of their own fucked up patriarchal beliefs. Well, yeah, like that and they're cops. They don't want to do anything. Like... You know, they're getting paid whether or not they, like, investigate shit or not. If it seems like it's going to be complicated, and if it seems like it's going to be, like, a rough time, which that sounds like it's a rough time, they're just going to be like, ah, well, not my problem. And, you know, let it carry on. They're fucking cops. They don't give a shit. But but oddly enough, like, I feel like the they're afraid of being called race racist narrative it is like the weird sort of like defense for the police, which oh, is yeah, why as, some, as someone who like this Tom Crowther guy who defends cops legally, like he's the one writing this report. He's going to defend cops by like using the easier like narrative of like, oh, they were just afraid of being called racist. But it's like, no, they were fucked up. They did yeah. a lot of fucked up shit. You would think that like, I don't know, maybe children being sexually exploited would have been enough, you know? Yeah. I don't know, like, it's like reading this gives me this, like, similar vibes to what, what comes out with the, like, the Yavaldi shooting and the cops not doing anything. And it's like, cops don't like doing anything. And especially, like, and these are both cases involving children where it's like, you know, that's the one thing where, like, often people are like, oh, we need cops because they're the ones to protect our kids from these things. And it's like, what are they doing in these cases? Yeah, no, it's also... Like, in a less, I mean, I shouldn't say a less horrific, like with the the shooting in Nova Scotia, you know, Canada's largest mass killing or whatever, the cops did fucking nothing, right? Like, the cops refused to use even the resources that they had to warn civilians that there was a dude dressed up as a cop going around and shooting people. Like... They didn't send a text message warning. They didn't send an Amber Alert or whatever. Like, they were giving update. Like, you know, they're... Yeah, they're incompetent. Yeah, they, like... Don't really give that much of a shit. It's just kind of, like... That is what they are organizationally, is, like... Not capable of handling societal problems in any way that doesn't involve violence. So when they actually have to, like, go in and, you know, in the Uvalde case and risk harm themselves or in, like, the case in the UK, it's like, yeah, if they actually have to do hard work and they're not going to really be getting rewarded for it, they're not going to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's also just, like, in terms of these issues, like the reason why these particular cities come up is because they were these high profile cases where the conduct of the police like came out, but we don't know how much like there's other towns in the UK where this is not being covered. Uh, 
you know, or how many other beliefs hold these views? Like, how how are we being sure that the... Because, like, after each one of these reports comes out and there's, like, a thing... There's a couple resignations and then they talk about how, like, we're getting better training about CSE to protect children. Yeah. But, like, how many of these do you need to go through before you're, like, there's something fucked up systematically about the police in general and how they handle these uh, cases? Yeah, like... And it's the exact same with literally every issue that they fail on because it's like oh we're gonna try harder next time and it's like no you're fucking not like you know you're just gonna say that have a couple people maybe resign or maybe say sorry or whatever and then next time it happens you're just gonna be like oh wow we need to do more training you need to pay us more in order to give us more training then we'll then we'll do better. When, like, you know, one obvious, uh, not, like, not 100% perfect fix, but create better social environments uh, where people are, uh, you know, have some of their basic needs met, where would decrease the extent to which they can be exploited. Yeah, exactly. So that's that. Uh, do you want to talk about Ezra being sued now? Is that <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think that'll be the 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 fun. Now we get to cleanse our palate. So I, I did again. I did feel like that was worth uh, just covering, uh, uh, and and also giving Samantha a voice. I, I I think like you know again, very sad that uh, her her outcome is her becoming a conservative on all this. But like her story is rough, and I think it's worth just hearing, even if it's someone from a an ideological perspective we disagree with. Yeah. And then on that note, uh, so Ezra is being sued. And he is being sued by someone named Jean-Christophe Boucher, who is a professor of political science at the University of Calgary. And this is over a June 9th episode of Rebel News. And since we cover Rebel News, we can actually go back in time and listen to what we had to say about it. Isn't that fun? Do do we want to do we want to go how do what how do we do the time travel segment do I like do we both like go do 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 or do I like I pull a lever okay so here's here we go we're going back in time Ezra complains about some University of Calgary uh paper that talked about Russian disinfo nothing important there that's it. No wonder I don't remember it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Nothing important here. Nothing important here. Now, you're going to remember the week we did this. So, th the week that this happened, we covered Ezra interviewing Alex Stein, who was the guy who harassed the LGBT community in Dallas over a Drag Your Kids to Pride event where there was a neon sign on the wall that said it's not going to lick itself, which was because it was an ice cream parlor, but like people thought oh, it was yes. like a sexual innuendo against kids, uh, and a whole bunch of far-right uh, bigots showed up at the place, and it was a whole thing. So we covered that. It was also the episode where Ezra did played a whole bunch of clips of Yuval Noah Harari to bolster his World Economic Forum uh, conspiracy theory, called Yuval the muse of uh, 
Klaus Schwab and like stole all the clips from these conspiracy theorist YouTube videos. And so after spending an hour on both those two topics, when it got to this stupid story about Russian disinfo, I just didn't care. Yeah. And, I, and also, it's like, I was not shocked or surprised when Ezra referred to this guy as someone who is paid by Trudeau, that his study lacked rigor, and that he was out to silence and censor people. Because Ezra pretty much says that about everyone he doesn't like. So when I listened to that, I was not thinking in my head, this is someone who's going to sue Ezra. Because <laughs> if that's the case, a lot of people have grounds to sue Ezra to a certain extent. So, uh, mm. But Ezra's being sued. So let's, uh, let's see what uh, at least the case is being made by Jean before we hear Ezra explain to us what he would, you know, whether he thinks it's warranted or not. So, I mean, and of course he's going to say no, but we'll hear what he has to say anyways. I'm going to start by, we're just going to read the letter of intent that was sent from Jean to Ezra, and I will get Vienno to read it. We are the solicitors for Dr. Jean-Christophe Boucher. This correspondence serves as notice of intention to bring an action against you for defama defamation under Section 13.1 of the Defamation Act, RSA 2000, CD7. <laughs> this is some just a legal formality because he's suing in the jurisdiction of Alberta. That's, that's all that is about. Okay. In connection with an article that was published in written form and a segment that was published in audio form as part of the Ezra Levant Show on the Rebel News Network Limited website at http you don't have to read the colon <laughs> slash slash forward slash forward slash www.rebelnews.com forward slash ezra underscore levant underscore show underscore june underscore oh nine underscore 2022 this article and audio segment entitled uh open quote let me show you what a fraud this whole <laughs> Uh, apostrophe disinformation apostrophe industry is. I have a gross example from the University of Calgary, close quote, were published on June 9th, 2022. Both the article and segment contain numerous false and defamatory statements regarding Dr. Boucher, including the following. Jean-Christophe Boucher is a raging Trudeau liberal <laughs> on Trudeau's payroll and Big Pharma's payroll, too. He's done the same make-believe junk science hocus-pocus before in the service of his vaccine paymasters. <laughs> so yeah, he's a bit of a partisan for hire. If you pay him enough money, he'll make a rainbow diagram with the names of people he hates in it. There's no science here. It's McCarthyism with an inkjet printer. There's no methodology. There's no academic rigor. This fake professor is trying to dress up his own partisan bigotry as some sort of science, but scratch the surface and you'll find he's nothing more than a Trudeau shill. And what does he want to do with people he disagrees with? He wants to shut us down. What a disgrace. A professor at a university hates free speech and debate so much that he literally wants to silence and shut us down. That's not a professor. That's a liberal party mole at the U of C god yeah there was a a little bit to end it off but we don't really need to uh 
Uh, other than I think he lists that he calls uh, yeah. Boucher an ignorant yeah. coward. Uh, and an ignoramus. True. But, <laughs> but that's that's the intent to sue. Th- those, that's the claim that defamation was had. And I think like the main thing to focus on is it seems the biggest contention or the thing they're going to directly target Ezra on is the claim that somehow receiving funding the claim that he's receiving funding from trudeau and that sort of like shapes his like academic output i think is the angle they're going to take based on the selection of quotes given here since most of them seem to focus around that that he's getting money and that therefore it's he's a bad scientist because it's shaping how he does things now what do we think just on first uh, glance here Vienna, do do we think he has a case? Mm, mayhaps. A media organization, quote-unquote, um, just spreading lies on the internet about somebody? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Could be defamation. There's a, there's a slight possibility. So we are going to uh, listen to what Ezra has to say, and then we'll come back to that question, see uh, how our, our feelings... Whether or not Ezra could convince you by the end of this, all right? So Ezra open, cold opens by saying he's going to prove that some of these statements are true. Uh, and so that's primarily what we're going to get at. But like after the cold open, it plays the introduction, and then Ezra starts talking. I'm going to start playing from there as we hear sort of Ezra starting off the show of how he's going to approach this. A terrible thing just happened. Rebel News and me personally have just received this legal notice of an intention to bring a lawsuit against us sent by Trudeau's disinformation czar, Jean-Christophe Boucher. He's coming to censor us, to shut us down, just like he publicly warned us would happen. I need your help, please. I just received his legal threat letter this week. They actually wrote it on September 8th. The day the queen died. These are really classy people. <laughs> How dare they write something and then the queen died. I played that clip just for that. <laughs> yes. The queen, oh. you can't do anything. The queen died. We're in mourning. You can't, you can't file lawsuits. You can't sing Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. You, you can't do shit. I don't know if you caught that story, but Trudeau's being dragged because he sang Bohemian Rhapsody two days ago. But <laughs> you know what? Yeah, that man should not be allowed to sing Queen. Like, I don't give a shit about whatever else it is. Um, <laughs> don't even say it, Vienna. The Queen died. You can't. That news didn't come out until the afternoon. <laughs> There was most of a whole work day before. I know, because they probably would have, like, sent the email before, or, like, if it was letter-formed, it would have been sent, like, before they would have known. Like, I just, I love that. Yeah. It's so good. But, you know, I love as well the whole, like, he still calls them the inf- disinformations are. Like, <laughs> rather than taking this lawsuit seriously, Ezra's like, I'm going to double down super fucking hard yeah and just in case you would think that ezra would walk back 
I'm going to play another clip where he super, super duper doubles down on the accusations that he makes. But the main thing to know about this Boucher character is that he is Trudeau's censorship point man. He's the man paid to lead Trudeau's campaign against disinformation. He's Trudeau's chief censor. And he has hated rebel news for a very long time. Do you think that helps his case? <laughs> no. <laughs> Calling a random professor <laughs> Trudeau's chief censor. I and he, he, well, <laughs> I'm curious. We're going to get to it in a bit, but maybe we'll pre preface it here. What do you think? What do you think is happening? What do you think is the connection to Trudeau? Such that he can make these claims. I I got nothing, honestly. <laughs> All right, we'll get we'll get to it in a bit. So he made the claim at the end there that he's wanted to destroy Rebel News for some time. Okay, that claim is just that I guess Ezra found some tweets of his of Boucher's where Boucher was like, "I would like to see Rebel News be destroyed." Okay, now solidarity. Yes, we also would like to see Rebel News destroyed. Right, that's. Cool and based, in my opinion. However, this is just poisoning the well. Because it's like, you can have that opinion. Like, Boucher can have that opinion of wanting to see Rubble destroyed. And Ezra can still defame him. You know? These two things <laughs> have nothing to do with each other. Uh, yeah. If anything, Ezra just gave him the ability to do what Boucher wanted to do, which was to destroy him. You know? <laughs> Here is Ezra's proof that Boucher is paid by Trudeau. So you're not even sure what it could be. Ezra is going to tell us what it is. I mean, I first heard of Boucher a few months ago when he published this bizarre report subject to no academic peer review. It was really weird. It was called Disinformation and Russia-Ukrainian War on Canadian Social Media. But the report itself was disinformation because it wasn't a neutral or scholarly study. It was funded by Trudeau's Department of National Defense. In fact, that's Boucher's sugar daddy. He calls himself a professor, sure. <laughs> but he actually runs the Canadian Network on Information and Security funded by the Department of National Defense. He's the guy Trudeau pays to accuse Trudeau's political enemies of spreading foreign disinformation. I, I don't think this is helping, Ezra. <laughs> like, I, I think you're going to lose this lawsuit. Yeah, I, I honestly think... That that last thing he just said in that clip is the most defamatory thing he said, even compared to the the letter of intent. Yeah. Because he, like, if you're saying that Trudeau is paying you specifically to accuse Trudeau's enemies of spreading foreign information, that is like a factual assertion that can easily be proven false. Especially... When the evidence provided of, like, funding here is the Department of Defense. Yes. Boucher, through the university, received a large grant to start a program. Uh, I think they were given... Uh, so it was Boucher and a co-lead were given, like, $2.4 million to start this, like, information uh, group where they're studying the effects of information on, on people. And it was the Department mm -hmm. of National Defense that sent them this money. Now, it's a grant. Now, is that Trudeau paying these scholars? 
And I'm sure that Boucher would have like evidence of what the grants was stipulated to be spent on, such that it is likely not saying this grant is for the sole purpose of targeting Trudeau's enemies. I'm pretty sure that is not in the grant stipulation. Yeah. It's just amazing his ignorance about academia and how it functions. Or like or not even because like like it, here's the thing, it's like it's not even like the ignorance, it's like because I often feel like he can't be this ignorant. He's just doing this because he can craft a narrative because anyone who takes money from the government, he can just say that it's coming from Trudeau. But this yeah. time it bit him in the ass because he's getting sued. So now I'm like, is the doubling down his ignorance? Or is the double down like another like he's thinking that he can do this because it's a way of like grifting his audience to to say that he's under attack? And that the law, like the money he thinks he's going to lose in this defamation case is like something he's okay with writing off. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Because like, I don't, I don't get, get what's happening here. Because <laughs> he's making it worse for himself in terms of like, if his goal was to win the lawsuit, he's making it harder for himself. Yeah. I, yeah, just like, dude. I will, <laughs> I will also say because he also said that this thing was not peer reviewed, and this, the the place that published this thing. So, Jean works in it's the School of Public Policy within the University of Calgary, and the School of Public Policy has their own journal. Hmm. So he's getting published in the journal that is run out of his department. Now, as far as I could tell, and I found it on the University of Calgary website, that there's a description of the peer-reviewed process to get published in that journal. So, this journal does do peer-reviewed. Is it rigorous or not? I, I haven't done due diligence on that front, but it is peer-reviewed. But... One caveat is that the particular paper that was published was what was called a briefing, a policy brief, or brief policy or something like this. So mm -hmm. it wasn't like a standard article within the thing. So I don't know if these were peer-reviewed, but they might have been. But even if they weren't, like this is the other part of like Ezra's academic ignorance, where it's like it could have been just a place to like showcase sort of like works in progress. Because this was not yeah. like an in-depth study. It was kind of like just an outline of like a little thing. It didn't really go into too much detail. And so part of me is like, yeah, there's places in academia where people like, when, when for example, they do like uh, poster board conferences where people have like poster boards of the work that they're doing, their ongoing research. And this is sort of like the equivalent of that, this brief that was posted. Which doesn't mean that it lacks academic rigor. It just means that it's like it hasn't reached the stage where it's getting published in a high-tiered peer-reviewed journal yet, you know? Before we, like, move on to, like, other thing that Ezra is going to go on to say, I did want to stop and just say that Jean does receive money, uh, or not directly, but Jean works for a organization that has to do with convincing the public about vaccine uptake. And he's yeah. been with them since before the pandemic. And that group takes funding from Merck. 
Now, in the context in which Ezra is using it, I feel like Ezra is trying to relate it back to COVID-19, but Merrick doesn't have a COVID-19 vaccination. So, like, it's weird for, like, Ezra to throw it out there, like, his vaccine paymasters, when it has nothing to do with COVID-19. Especially when we've heard Ezra previously say that all the other vaccines are fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's not, you know, Boucher is not taking money from the COVID vaccine people. Yeah. But Ezra doesn't go into that in this episode. So I, I thought I would just put that here since we're talking about whether or not uh, uh, Jean is a paid shill or not. But now we get to the article itself. And I just want to say, Ezra, this is amazing. I'm going to play you a clip. And in this clip, there is a direct quote of the article but it is not clear on the audio medium where the direct quote begins and ends. Mm. And this is super fucking bad for what Ezra is going to do here. Uh, and this itself, uh, you know, pretty defamatory. Like I say, he claimed the report was about Russian disinformation on the internet. He says he studied millions of tweets and made a list of those Twitter accounts that promote Vladimir Putin's agenda. But look at one of the five criteria he says he looked at. And if you did this, you were promoting Russian propaganda. He said that anyone who vocally opposed Justin Trudeau could be flagged by Boucher as a Russian agent. I'm serious. Not exaggerating. Let me quote directly from his study. He said, promoting a specific mistrust of Canada's liberal government and especially of Prime Minister Trudeau was enough for Boucher to flag you as a Putin agent. I'm serious. If you don't trust the liberals, especially Boucher's personal hero, Justin Trudeau, Boucher might call you a Russian propagandist. This is not a report about disinformation. This report is disinformation. It's a smear of anyone who criticizes Trudeau. It's not scholarship. It's not science. This junk study was not even peer-reviewed. It's bought and paid for propaganda, in my opinion. How many times do you think the article mentions Russian agents? Every sentence. <laughs> Zero times. <laughs> Not a one. Yet it sounded even when, when Ezra goes, and I'm serious here, quote, and says the thing which included the word Russian agent. And I'm just like, where did that quote end and begin, Ezra? Such that you included a word that is not at all in the journal itself. That's why you say quote and then end quote. <laughs> and when you before you do that, you say serious. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> so he can't even say the excuse that I was just joking or whatever. You clearly said on your fucking show that you're serious and that you're not exaggerating. Before you went on and misquoted the article. God. <laughs> it's like he wants to lose, right? I like I don't know what's happening. Yeah, I, I... <laughs> Like he's got to know how a defamation lawsuit works at He's this done point. enough, yeah. Yeah. I... It is so I'm, I'm going to explain this study just because, like, I think it'll sink into you why Ezra's characterization is bonky. 
Bunky? Bunkers? Whatever. <laughs> Wonky. Nowhere in the study do they refer to anyone as a Russian agent. The part Ezra tried to quote was from the introduction, which I admit is not like all that clarifying, but it kind of gets into it in the rest of the study. The aus or not study, but like brief or whatever the hell it is. The authors mm -hmm. listed five pro-Russian narratives in the introduction, but it does not explain why these narratives are being highlighted in the introduction, and that's why it's not that clarifying. So Ezra is taking them as them just saying, if you criticize Trudeau, you're a Russian agent, because one of the five narratives is criticizing Trudeau. So yeah. the study mapped communities on Twitter that were talking about the Ukraine war, and they did this by like going by certain keywords and hashtags, and they categorized them based on the tweets into either pro or anti-Russia uh, Twitter accounts. And I don't know exactly how they did that, but I guess they had some way of like sifting through these accounts to know whether they're pro or anti-Russia. And then they focused specifically on those tweets that came from Canadian users, uh, specifically on the pro-Russia side of this divide. They then analyzed the types of accounts uh, that I just described uh, and saw what sort of like major accounts they would ret like retweet or quote tweet. And they would also characterize the types of narratives that came out of these like people who were promoting pro-Russian narratives. Mm -hmm. So as you could tell already, these narratives were derived from the Twitter accounts themselves and were not like Jean Boucher sitting there going, anyone who cr criticizes Trudeau is a Russian agent. The, the criticism of Trudeau is coming from the accounts themselves, right? Which is how they came up with the five main narratives. Now, I will, I will actually quote the article, which is the section that Ezra highlights, which is the five main narratives shared in these networks. And so here they go. The very first one is uh, implying NATO expansionism legitimizes the Russian invasion. Two, portraying NATO as an aggressive alliance using Ukraine as, as a proxy against Russia. Three, promoting a general mistrust in institutions and elites. Four, suggesting that Ukraine is a fascist state or has extensive fascist influences. And five, promoting a specific mistrust of Canada's liberal government, and especially of Prime Minister Trudeau. Now that's all it says. And notice that Ezra added the, is a Russian agent uh, in his own version of the quoting of this, which does not appear in the actual article. But also notice that the fifth point that mentions Trudeau has a word there called specific mistrust, which means that the mistrust is specific in a certain way. And that maybe yeah. if you read the rest of the article, it'll tell you what the kind of specific mistrust is happening. <laughs> so, <laughs> also notice like this has nothing to do with being a Russian agent because it, or like it is, like the spreading of pro-Russian narratives have nothing to do with whether or not uh, this is directed by the Russian government or anything like this, but just that there exists an, like a sphere of influence that is pushing a pro-Russian narrative. And what are those narratives? Which is all this study is, is getting at, right? It's not mm -hmm. like we know that these messages are being put out there by Putin and here's how he's doing it. In fact, I don't even think Putin is mentioned in this entire article. <laughs> <sighs> So in the results section of the paper, they go into more detail about this fifth narrative, 
So here it goes. This is, again, quote what the, ar the article that Ezra is criticizing says. Yeah. The fifth narrative fosters mistrust in the liberal government of Canada, especially Prime Minister Trudeau. Though very similar to general mistrust in institutions, this example was pervasive enough to form a distinct narrative. It characterizes Trudeau and the liberals as lying about the conflict to further their own political goals, end quote. So you could tell that the context of these narratives that form in this online community is around Trudeau specifically like forwarding his own goals and therefore lying about Russia or something, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's like <laughs> that's pretty much it. Like he he just complete Ezra completely mischaracterized what this briefing study thing was at all. It wasn't doing anything that Ezra said it was doing. Never called anyone a, a Russian agent. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, it, list, it, it listed some things, some narratives that Twitter accounts were spreading. That's, they've got to be in Putin's pocket if they're saying such things. But now we get to the fun part in terms of like some of the the larger influencer accounts that work in these networks. Now, I will say before I play Ezra's thing, the paper itself had two distinct, distinct influencer categories. One was US-influenced accounts, and the other was Russia-influenced accounts. But nowhere in the briefing paper does it explain why these two groups were created. And so I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for this, in part because like it, it first felt to me that like the US created accounts were people more associated with like the Fox News ecosphere but even that wasn't exactly the case but then on the other side the Russian influenced accounts like at first I was like it seemed like they were more like gray zone types but then some of the gray zone affiliated people were also in the Russia influenced camp so it's like I have no clue why what these camps are doing right uh, because my initial thought was that, like, you know, gray zone, the idea is there is they're getting the misinformation directly from Russia or something, but then, like, the other ones are not. But, like, either way, it's not clear to me. But, and Ezra doesn't really bring up this distinction either. I just thought, like, there are aspects of this paper that even I, as someone uh, versed in academia, was kind of confused at why certain things were done. But, you yeah. know, tis the nature of the beast, I guess. But here is Ezra reflecting on the type of people that were described as sort of like influencers. And based on that BS, they made a hate list of the people they accused of being Russian agents. The top one, this is crazy, the top one being Tulsi Gabbard, the former U.S. congresswoman who's in the U.S. Army Reserve. She ran in the Democratic primaries for president. I'm serious. They said she was a Russian propagandist. But look at the other names on the list, too. Jack Posobiec is on there. He's a pundit. He used to serve in the U.S. Navy. It's insane to call him a Russian agent. But look, Maxime Bernier is on there, too. I'm on there. Some other Canadian pundits and Americans, too. How? How am I on there? I'm not a Putin agent. In fact, I wrote two books about how Canada has to produce more ethical oil and gas to displace 
Russian conflict oil and gas to free Europe. I called it ethical oil versus conflict oil. I was so harsh on Putin. I had a whole chapter on Gazprom and why we need to beat them. I was so harsh on Putin, it is not safe for me or my family members to travel to Russia. But like I say, this Boucher, he says you're a Putin stooge simply for distrusting Trudeau. Wow. Well, considering 68% of Canadians distrusted Trudeau enough in the last election to vote for anyone but him, that's a lot of Russian agents running around. Are we really that surprised that Tulsi Gabbard was the top of this list <laughs> spreading pro-Russian narratives? <laughs> No. <laughs> no. Yeah. I also love that he do- he mentions Jack Posobiec, but doesn't mention that Jack Posobiec used to work for Rebel News. <laughs> I don't I don't know why that is. Why why did Ezra not want to associate with this guy? He's just a former Marine. That's that's all he's known for. I also love like again, it's the insinuation that they're like Russian agents, and like that accusation was made by. Uh, against Tulsi Gabbard by Hillary Clinton. Like, I'm surprised, like, that didn't come up. Like, I don't necessarily think that that is the case. Although, like, it is clear that Tulsi is sympathetic to Russia in for whatever reason it, it, it may be, you know? Uh, but it's like, the accusation against her dates all the way back to, like, 2016. So is it really that surprising? Yeah. Very, very weird. I will say, one of the other things, like... Ezra Ezra leaves this person off, but Majid Nawaz of Quilliam that we talked about in our last story was like number three on the list of U.S. influencers, which shocked me. Like it was it was Tulsi Jack Majid Nawaz, and I was like, whoa, wow. So, you know, and some of the others again I mentioned like there was the gray zone types on the other side uh, who were considered like Russian influencers. But again, like, it was just people... What do you mean on the other side? On uh, the other side of what? Of the weird arbitrary distinction made by the the paper people between uh, U.S.-influenced versus Russian-influenced accounts. Oh, okay. So, like, so it had, like... But here's the other thing. So here's, like, where it got confusing to me. Glenn Greenwald was on the U.S.-influenced side, even though, like... Aaron Mate and like the Gray Zone people were on the Russia influenced. And I think yeah. R- Richard Medhurst, I think, is some like Australian guy. He was also on the Russian influenced. There was, it was just like, I don't know, the, the weird distinction that I'm curious how, why the paper like had this, these categories. I don't know. Yeah, I don't get it. But it is not surprising to me. Like the other part of it is, is like aside from like the criticisms of Trudeau, Ezra has basically endorsed all five points, right? So it's like mm-hmm. Ezra has implied that NATO expansion is a, expansionism legitimizes the Russian invasion. He's especially done that with like uh, Finland, uh, mm-hmm. especially, and then uh, portraying NATO as an aggressive alliance. He did that with uh, with Finland as well, promoting a general mistrust in institutions and the elites. I mean, like, come on! Almost every week he's talking about the WEF, you know, even in the context of the Ukraine war, right? Then you get suggesting that Ukraine is a fascist state. He did an entire episode on the, uh, uh, you know, on the um, the Azov Battalion. But like, and like, I'm I'm fine with people talking about the Azov Battalion. It's just interesting to note that Ezra used it as maybe Russia is right. That was part of his narrative, right? That maybe it was okay to invade because they are Nazis, right? Uh, 
Or at least that was heavily implied. Yeah. And then number five, promoting specific mistrust of uh, the Canada's liberal government, especially Prime Minister Trudeau. And yes, about Ukraine as well. So like, the, like Ezra hit all five of those points. So no wonder his account was retweeted by people pushing a pro-Russian narrative. Not surprising at all. Yeah, just seems very dumb. I mean, but this is why I didn't cover this in the first... When I said it wasn't important, I, like, I'm moving on. Like, it really wasn't that important. Yeah. But he has stuck his foot in his fucking mouth. <laughs> yeah, and, like, and he's doubling down on it, too. Yeah. Like, idiot. I have one more clip, but this is great. Uh, for context, because he's going to mention it in the next clip. But Ezra does mention before I play this clip, so it's not in the clip itself, that he wrote to Gene after his June 9th episode... And told him to correct the paper, which which he claims smeared him as a Russian agent. So in a weird way, Ezra may have inadvertently brought the episode to Boucher's attention, such that Boucher ended up suing him. <laughs> and then, you know, in my conspiracy brain, I'm just like, did he want to be sued? I... <laughs> Or maybe Ezra was planning to sue him. And, like, I don't know. How does Ezra think academic papers work also? They're not, like, online blogs that you just, like, oh, quick edit here. Yeah, you would have had to, like, at least write the the editor of the journal and try to say, like, we need a retraction because here's some false information or something. Yeah. Nope, but he wrote Gene. It was like, you called, you smeared me and called me a Russian agent. <laughs> but after explaining that, Ezra is now going to be the sum. So he's going to sum it all up for us. He's going to go out. And so here he is just summing, summing it all up. Make it make sense, Ezra. So let's sum up. A professor who receives hundreds of thousands of dollars in funding from the Trudeau government to smear Trudeau's opponents as Russian agents smears us as Russian agents. In a non-peer-reviewed junk study designed to titillate and smear, Boucher then does the media circuit, going even further than his study does, step two. This same professor repeatedly attacks Rebel News, comparing us to poison, saying we should be sued into silence. And number three, when I write to him, asking him to correct his errors, correct his disinformation, he refuses and instead, he serves me with a legal threat letter. This guy couldn't be clearer about his plans. He wants to sue Rebel News to shut us down. He said so. And now he's got a university lawyer and a vault full of cash from Trudeau. He's coming to kill us. <laughs> he's coming to kill them. Next week's episode is just Jean-Christophe Boucher with a pistol behind Ezra the whole time. Yeah, I might have spoke too soon saying that we'll have two episodes when I'm back from vacation, because this might be the end of Rebel News. <laughs> They're going to be dead. <laughs> oh my god. They're coming to kill us. I wonder if it's just kind of like they haven't had a good fundraising opportunity in a while. Like, nothing has really happened that is like a oh, wow, please, we need money. We're in such dire straits. And so now it's like, okay, yeah, we're getting sued. And 
Well, Send can you imagine money. how he followed this up? They're going to kill us, and he literally pivots to visit our website, saverebelnews.com, and sign our petition. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. <laughs> because, like, really, what was the last, like, big thing that they had to fundraise on? Was David it... Menzies and the RCMP? I was thinking, um, what's-your-face getting quote-unquote shot? Was that before or after the RCMP? Well, now I can't remember. Oh, oh, wasn't no, the RCMP no, it would have been after. 2021? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because the RCMP one was... Uh, the election. Between, it was between Christmas and January. And then February is when yeah. the Trump convoy happened. So yeah, it was before. You're right. Yeah, so you know, that's... Alexa being shot, yeah, yeah. That's seven months. They haven't had a... True, I can't... Th- like, they've done tons of petitions, but none... Like, they had a petition for the Amish guy... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They've had but a But they haven't had any but, like yeah. We're internal... under attack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're coming to get us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Which is why like yeah, it's clear that he's trying to monetize off of it, but like to double down that hard like I like they must be like we're we're like this is barely going to touch us, so we're just going to keep saying it and not like bend to it or something. Like I don't know. That or they're just like already like okay we'll settle and you know use this to fundraise for more than the settlement money. But as he said, I think it's like the guy has like the university lawyers and stuff like this, so like it, it might be coming partly from the university, and in that case, like Boucher is going to have some deep pockets too. So it's it's I, yeah I don't know settling might happen, but like. I, yeah, I don't know. And I was even thinking of, like, what defenses Ezra could have. Because, like, you know, so I dabble, like, I went in to, like, look at a bit of, like, the sort of, like, literature on slander versus libel. Because I guess, like, he can, in Canada, libel can can happen even if, like, you didn't receive damages. Because in this case, I was like, has Boucher received damages? Not really. It's not like... I don't know. I don't think academics are going to like go, well, Ezra said, or like, <laughs> and him losing yeah. like work opportunities. But like libel in Canada, like it can function if like somebody reports false stuff about you on a published medium, like a news show, and doesn't take it offline, then it says false information about you. That like the damages are implied even if they haven't occurred. And so mm-hmm. he can sue based on that, uh, even though he hasn't received damages. But then I'm like, okay, so. So Boucher could go through, but then like what what sort of like defenses might Ezra muster? And there's like several defenses. One is that you can claim that this statement is true. And as we've demonstrated, I don't think Ezra can make that defense. <laughs> no. I think he could try. I don't think it's gonna work. Because for one, he's completely wrong about everything in the paper. And two, uh, I don't know, receiving funding from the DOD does not mean you're a paid shill by Trudeau. I think. I, mm-hmm. I don't think the court is gonna like waver on that one. Then you got something like absolute privilege, but that just means like uh, that the communication was made in a venue where people ought to have absolute privilege to speak. So like during a trial or in parliament. And so that doesn't apply to here. There's qualified privilege, which means that the communication was given in a non-malicious and well-intentioned context. Uh, And the examples there are like a negative reference to like a former employee. And like to me, that doesn't really apply either uh, to this case. Then there's fair comment, 
which means that your statement was a non-malicious opinion about a matter of public interest. For example, an editorial in a newspaper about a politician. And I'm like, there might be some of that in there, but even then it's like, it's a, a professor and you're saying things about them directly about like the nature of them rather than like the role as a politician or whatever. Yeah, and like not about their work, but about their, about themselves. Yeah. And then the other one is responsible communication on matters of public importance. So that means like as a journalist, you can get things wrong if you're reporting the facts and you heard something wrong so long as you made an honest attempt. And the thing is, I don't think Ezra made an honest attempt. So I don't think he can do this one either. So I'm like, maybe he's going to try for fair comment. And maybe he's going to try for, like, it's true and therefore cannot be defamatory. But I don't think he could see, like, that he could succeed on either of those, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. I think Ezra's going to take a big L on this. It just depends on how big the L is, you know? Whether it's going to be a settlement, whether it's going to be something else. But if I was Boucher, my personal opinion, Boucher wants to destroy Rebel News, don't settle. Keep it going. <laughs> Keep it going. That's that's my personal advice to, to Jean Boucher. So on closing thoughts, what do you what do you think about this? What uh do you think Ezra's gonna lose? Yeah, I think I think he's either going to lose or he's going to settle. And like, you know, that is technically still losing, I guess. Um I looked him up on Twitter just to like see if he had a Twitter. It is entirely, like, Rebel News and, like, like shitty right-wing, like, fake accounts being, like, oh... Oh, you looked up Jean you know, Boucher? You're a comic so pe yeah. People are targeting you know, You're a comic piece of okay. shit and, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's evidence that, like, what Rebel News is publishing is directing hate towards them. Yeah. And there's also, like, bots that are doing it where it says Rebel News and then in brackets and me personally and brackets have just been served with a legal notice of intention to bring a lawsuit sent by trudeau's disinformation czar jean-christophe boucher go to rebel news to read the letter to sue and like there's multiple things that are just that like there are multiple tweets that are copy pastes of that basically so it's like there's got to be some sort of thing going on he doesn't have a Twitter also. Like, they're they're not adding anybody. It just, when you look up the name, the only thing that comes up is Rebel News people targeting him. We're pretty much done with the main segments. And I'm, I'm contemplating, because I have, I have a weird story involving the interview segment when Ezra was done with this. And I could go into it. Can I can I be frank with you, Vienna? <laughs> can I, I be like frank you're with you? Do some kind of annoying joke. Just do it. Is <laughs> you know the enjoy <laughs> the annoying joke is me just saying being frank uh, because <laughs> so okay, I, Frank. I've told you this in in person. I haven't told our audience this. But this this is going to be because, like, why not? We're having an extra bonus uh, addition to this episode. There's something that happened in my personal life, sort of, that is related to the guest that Ezra interviews in the segment. 
it's very tangential, but I promise you, it'll it'll eventually get back to to Ezra uh, and his guest. Okay, but my dad and I, I talked to my dad. It was his birthday yesterday, and he consented that I can talk about this. So if anyone's worried, like, well, did you get your dad's permission? Yeah, he's like, whatever. I don't fucking care. So he's allowing me to talk about this. But my dad is a handyman. He like works for people to. It, his main client is a guy who owns a bunch of like buildings in Mississauga where, you know, other, like the tenants are often like companies that uh, uh, manufacture and, and stuff like this. And so my dad is usually the maintenance guy. So, you know, if like somebody clogs the toilet or whatever, like rather than calling a plumber, they would call my dad to like go in there and like fix it. Uh, and if like it, which happens to be the case because he knows this guy who owns all these like buildings uh, if a tenant has to leave for whatever reason, my dad is usually the guy who guts the building and then makes it look nice for like the next people that want to move in. And so he's been working this job recently for one of the buildings where this company that used to be in there uh, had to leave because they weren't paying the rent. And this building belonged to a guy named Frank, or not, the building didn't belong, but the uh, the renter of the space belonged to a guy. It was uh, Frank D'Angelo, who... Primarily, like, had it was like a D'Angelo apple juice brand, which what he was known for, uh, primarily. And so all of this was, like, manufactured in the space that they were renting uh, from the guy that my dad does most of his work for. And they weren't paying the rent, so my dad went in there, and it was just, like, it had gone to, like, shit. Like, they were apparently bottling mostly for Arizona iced tea, and I think there might be some lawsuit that eventually will happen between Arizona iced tea suing Frank, but then, like, uh, just a, Frank also might have trouble with the government not paying taxes. There's a whole bunch of shit going on, okay? Uh, at least from what I've heard, so Frank, don't sue, you know, I'm just hearing things of the grapevine, don't know this for sure, or whatever. But, like, my dad's telling me the stories about this Frank guy, and he pulls out a picture, and the picture is Frank D'Angelo, with ed the sock okay and it was hanging in the office <laughs> at the at the apple juice plant or and the arizona iced tea like plant because it was all in the same place and i'm like why the fuck is this guy hanging around with ed the sock <laughs> and it turns out okay that this guy had his own tv show called being frank and it was produced in the basement of a restaurant that he owned which was next to the factory that made the apple juice, but it was by a different like landlord. So it wasn't the same guy who owned the building with the factory in it. And he created a set in his the basement of the restaurant next to these, this building where he would produce this show called Being Frank that was supposed to be like a late night TV show where he would get celebrity guests on, okay? But no one would pick it up. So he sold it to CHCH out of Hamilton so for many years, I think it started in 2010, he would do this celebrity, you know, late night show on CHCH that he paid to be on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, this is just like weird. And then in like the segments where you would normally have commercials, he would basically promote his like apple juice and shit. <laughs> okay. No, another... <laughs> Any questions so far, <laughs> No. So, he also was selling an energy drink at one point, okay? This is just a side tangent that I, I found this information and I it blew my fucking mind, okay? It was called Cheetah. Have you ever heard of Cheetah brand uh, energy drink? 
No. That's because it didn't last long, okay? Now... <laughs> was it Cheeto flavored? No. Now, oh. it was like... There was like a green flavor, a blue flavor, and a red flavor, okay? But... No yellow for Cheeto? No. <laughs> but here's the best part. It was sold as a caffeine-free energy drink. Can you tell me what the problem is with that? Did it have Coke in it? <laughs> it had nothing to create energy. <laughs> so people would drink it and be like, this is not energizing. I do not feel more awake drinking this energy drink. <laughs> so it didn't do well, okay? But I found, okay, he was producing commercials that would go on TV uh, he usually paid for them to be on uh, commercials during Hockey Night in Canada. And for one of the commercials, he got Ben Johnson to do one of the like promos. You've probably never heard of Ben Johnson. He was an athlete who won the Olympic gold medal for track and field in the 1980s, I believe. And it was eventually uh, removed from him when it came out that he was doping. Okay? Oh, Okay. So in these commercials, they were after the doping scandal where he had his medal removed. Uh, <laughs> and in the commercial, Ben Johnson promoting this uh, this energy drink would say, I cheetah all the time. <laughs> I oh. cheetah all the time. <laughs> that is pretty good, actually. I just I like I can't believe everything about this story. This guy is just so like out there. So apparently, these are, these are all the like the wacky things that he's doing. He, yeah. He's also he's been he he's been making films now. Okay. He's been self funding a whole bunch of movies, and most of the actors in this film, I think, like some of the actors, like he's had a uh, the lesser known Baldwin brother Daniel Baldwin has been in a bunch of his movies. And a ton of actors who are, like, mostly known for their, like, Italian mobster movies. So you have, like, uh, Paul Sorvino has been in one of his movies. Uh, James Caan is another one of those actors. I think both of those uh, passed away recently. But he's had, like, all these, like, Italian mobsters in his films. And, like, D'Angelo himself is, like, he sort of plays up his, like, Italianness Because he is Italian, okay? But, like, in order of playing up his Italianness, he owned a restaurant in Toronto for a while. You're not going to believe this fucking name of this restaurant, okay? The restaurant was called Forget About It. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay. So, all of this. Okay, so that's... So, here's here's the connection to Ezra. And then I'll, I'll say a little sad note before we can move on. And then we're pretty much done the show anyways. But... The connection to Ezra is I'm searching through all these like celebrities that he's taking pictures with. And there's a picture of him with this guy. And I was like, that guy looks so familiar. And it turned out that the guy was a person named Rob Davey, who is another one of these like Italian mobster actors. He's most known for his uh, one of his first roles was in the movie Goonies, which was directed by Steven Spielberg. And he played one of the like bad guys in the film. Rob Davey was the guest of this week on Ezra Levant's show. <laughs> so that is the tangentially uh, related connection, okay? It was it was indeed a tangent. But 
<laughs> I just couldn't believe this. But uh, the the one last thing I'll end on to make this Frank guy is gonna he he strikes me as odd because his Twitter account right now he's he's primarily one of those accounts that like would respond to every single Trump account with like you've been impeached and like would put a gif or something, and it like it surprises <laughs> me given who he is that oh. he would be like anti-Trump like that. Although I'm like, he is friends with Ed the Sox, but he's friends with Rob Davey, who, as we're going to find out on Ezra's show, is very, like, pro-Trump. When was he friends with Rob Davey, though? Maybe oh, I think they maybe did there a... has been a, a mob falling out. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe you gotta forget about that friendship. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's very weird. Like, here's the other thing, too, is... The state of the fa- the the factory, and like this is a personal opinion. I'm not making an assessment of whether or not the facility was safe to consume any of the products or any of this, but it didn't look great. And I remember working there. Like I know, like he used, uh, I think a staffing. Well, I I don't know this. I'm pretty sure he used a staffing agency to hire a lot of these people, and there was some issues of like some issues going on there. There was also, I found on his Twitter account, him very recently retweeting, like, John Fetterman tweets on Labor Day being, like, pro-union. And I was, like, super weird from what I know about what was going on at this place, okay? But this isn't to make him look good because now I'm painting him as this kind of, like, resistance lib who seems to be pro-union. But Mm -hmm. there was a case in 2007 where he was charged with sexual assault. Hmm. In the trial... He was uh, acquitted, but the judge said during the acquittal that he probably did it. Oh. And I'm like, that's weird. Then there was a scandal that broke because of it, because Frank D'Angelo was throwing parties and was inviting people involved in, like, the police department and stuff like this, and it was possible that he was trying to lean on these people so that he would get a lesser sentence or be acquitted. Uh... (laughs) So you're telling me that an Italian Canadian yep has connections to the chief of police in Toronto? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you went further than I did. I'm just saying corruption. That's all that I'm saying. Um and you for, know. And for anyone who's a hockey fan, Frank D'Angelo still does a, a like a a show right now so for one he's got two careers going because his uh juice company career is not doing very well and i'm not even sure how his restaurants are doing i think he has one left and even then i don't know but the the uh he he sells albums as a crooner like a frank sinatra type uh person uh he <laughs> and he does this weird sports show with famous Canadian hockey player Phil Epicito. Uh, so if anyone knows who that is, he, he won, I think, the Stanley Cup twice for Boston Bruins. And I think he was a co-owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning. He was like a, a founding creator of that team down in Florida. But he does a show now with Frank D'Angelo. So, and that's Frank D'Angelo. Very fucking, this guy is fascinating to me. I just, every time I, I'm just bored and I look up more things, he's just endlessly fascinating. And, and like, and where, like, where did he get all this money to pay for his own films, 
getting his own show put on CHCH. <laughs> Listen, he's he's a capital L liberal Italian Canadian. <laughs> hey, forget about it. <laughs> yeah. Forget about that money. <laughs> so yes, Ezra interviews Rob Davey. It's not even worth like going over, but for those who don't know, Rob Davey he produced a film, directed a film recently called My Son Hunter, which is all about Hunter Biden and uh it, Oh, I was really hoping it would just be like about his son. <laughs> no. <laughs> I forgot about Hunter Biden. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it, the the film itself is uh starring Gina Carano who got kicked off of uh the Mandalorian and yes. like uh, who else is in it? Lawrence Fox, who was strangely on Rebels show recently too. I think his name's Lawrence Fox. He was a guy who was from the UK, who was a who was a part of a UK party that's very far right, and he was dating the person who starred in uh, Doctor Who. Yes, he was married to Billy Piper. Yeah, okay, he yeah. He plays Hunter Biden in this film. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh Billy, Billy, what have you done? <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, but but like during this the interview, like nothing really, you know, uh, enlightening happens. I just thought I would give everyone uh, an, an interesting treat of some uh, random Canadian lore that I lear- uh, learned in my dad having this job. And I have a cooler now. I have like a, a you know, because my dad has had to clear clean out that warehouse completely. I have uh, inherited a few things from it. <laughs> because why not? It was gonna go in the garbage anyway, so I can I can uh, say that I have inherited things from Frank D'Angelo, if you will, indirectly. What a weird small world. Yeah, forget about it. I can't believe that's the name of his fucking restaurant. That is incredible. It's not around anymore, but apparently oh. it was a restaurant in Toronto. Hit me. If that would anyone... have been that would have been a pilgrimage spot. Like if, if anyone is listening, okay. I would love to know if anyone has eaten at Forget About It before it, it closed down. I would love to know. I want to know because there was a video. <laughs> this will never end. There was a video that uh, uh, D'Angelo posted to his Facebook of him making like chicken soup for his kids who were sick or something. And while he's di- like stirring this chicken soup, he's like, hey, my chicken soup is so fucking good. <laughs> Dropping f bombs while like making the soup, and I was like, <laughs> "Forget about it." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the long tangent. Uh, I thought it would be fun. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. The next two episodes really there was nothing. David Menzies hosted one and talked about electric vehicles and how they suck. He then uh, interviewed some, like, no-name mayoral candidate candidate for Toronto. His name was uh, Blake Acton, and he's an ex-police officer who is in favor of bringing back broken windows uh, policing and also bringing back carding, both things that were terrible, and there's a reason we got rid of them, uh, in that they targeted people based on the race. But, yeah. Yeah. So don't vote for Blake Acton, I guess. (laughs) He's being endorsed by David Menzies. That should tell you a lot. Anyways. And then on September 16th, Sheila was hosting, and she talked about this dude named Mark Carney who works... He's an economist who works for, like, Goldman Sachs or something. I don't know where he works. He works for one of those companies. I think at some point he worked for Goldman Sachs. And then the guest was someone named uh, Michelle Sterling, 
who's a part of a group called Friends of Science. And Friends of Science is known for being like an oil lobby front. And Michelle's on there to also talk shit about Mark Carney. Because they like both speculate that like he's going to become like a liberal politician or some shit. I don't care. So uh, that's it. That was the end of the week. But, uh, you know, forget about it. <laughs> hey, my chicken soup so fucking good. <laughs> Okay, briefly back to like the like shitty news uh, part, like we covered for the first half of this episode. Um, what I got to read this week is a um, article from the Islamic Human Rights Commission, uh, based out of the UK, I believe, um, just based off of their phone number. Um, that is an article from 2020 uh mapping not mapping but you know connecting um hindutva like far-right violence and like thought strains kind of globally um and how that kind of like connects to the modi regime and how it also like connects to like other kinds of far-right politics um it gives like a brief history of like where the hindu far right comes from um and it also talks a little bit like about how that's been affecting politics in britain and um a couple things were also like specifically mentioning um how like kind of like the hypersexualization of muslim men and women um and we touched on that a little bit with the like earlier segment uh regarding men how they're you know they've got to be violent they've got to be doing um horrific things because that's all that they're capable of um and then it also talks um kind of more horrifyingly about like um hindus including hindu women um basically saying like oh like it's actually cowardly not to rape a muslim woman um because it's entirely justifiable and like fine so to not do it is really just like you're missing the opportunity to not you know it is yeah like it is something that you should be doing if you have the chance which is like just horrifically disgusting um particularly in the context of uh talking about the um genocide in gujarat in which like you know just horrific crimes against like women and children and also muslim men occurring in like a pretty explicit exterminatory like act of violence um in a state that was governed by um modi who is now prime minister i believe yeah prime minister of india um you know, so that his his political career continued on from this. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty like 
horrific. Um, it's got some not great things. Um, and, uh, um, but it is like quite, it goes into like quite a bit of detail and talks about like how, how these things connect internationally, um, in, uh, and, um, it was interesting because like, as I was reading this, I saw on Twitter that Hindutva was trending, um, because I think in New Jersey, um, they have passed a law saying like that it is worth investigating, uh, them as like part possible, like, you know, as like a, that they could like commit acts of like major violence, um, so, you know, it is becoming slightly more recognized, but it's also something that, like, really ties into a lot of, like, the far-right politics in the UK, because it is something that is quite exploitable. Um, I would add, like, we, I've been streaming again in the, the mornings, and we watched a Rebel News clip a on our Wednesday stream mm-hmm. by Raheel Raza, who is super Islamophobic, but she in her video had, uh, in talking, it was about like, you know, post, you know, 9-11, these many years out or whatever, and like praised India specifically uh, in how it's dealing with the problem of Islamic extremism, which didn't go much beyond that, but like was basically her giving a nod of the hat to what the Modi regime is doing to Muslims in India right now, which is disgusting. Yeah. Um, and since we mentioned her earlier as well, Tulsi Gabbard is big into that shit. Um, like she is a major, like fan of Modi and apologist for his government. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, give that a read. Um, good, good info there. Um, and I don't know. Eat some fucking chicken soup, I guess. And then go on vacation! <laughs> I figured I didn't mind this episode being a little longer since you, you are going to miss us for a week. But, uh, yes. Uh, go on vacation. Enjoy yourselves. Relax. Find ways, like, once you read and listen to uh, both depressing elements of, of the episode that we just went over, uh, find ways to also relax and get in touch with humanity, you know? Yeah. Do something good. And on that note, if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a Discord setup. I've been doing Twitch streams now every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find videos on our YouTube channel. I'll likely be updating with like stream clips on our new stream clip channel as well. And you can find all the links in the show notes of this episode. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thank you for listening. And academic journals. You canceled. Hey, forget about it. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields? Today on our show, we have Ben Johnson. How are you, Ben? Put your cards on the table. Uh, Ben, when you run, do you cheetah?
Absolutely. Oh. I cheetah all the time. Cheetah Power Surge Energy Drink, an all-natural source of energy without caffeine.